Welcome to the Rouge Church Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we are so honored that you're listening in. We believe that faith should be a place of refuge and rest. So our community, we exist to help people follow Jesus so they can experience a life of rest in Him. Each week during our Sunday gatherings, small group gatherings, or even just our one-on-one discussions together, we talk about what it really looks like to follow Jesus in our time. And on this podcast, you'll find a collection of those very conversations. So we hope that this podcast is an encouragement to you. And wherever you might be in your faith journey with Jesus, we hope it inspires you towards your next step with him. Christmas is only a few uh, weeks away. We are less than two weeks away from Christmas. And um, I don't know about you, but I am I'm very excited for the Christmas season. Uh, Felicia and I will be doing a little bit of traveling uh, during the holidays where we're really, really excited about that. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a good time of year. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, nostalgia that goes into it. Um, a lot of uh, new, new, really cool traditions. Felicia and I have been trying to put together some new traditions, I guess, for our family or rhythms around the Christmas season uh, since Maisie has been born. And so uh, we've just been having a good time this year, uh, enjoying the Christmas season. And a couple year, a couple weeks ago, not years, a couple weeks ago, we started a, a new series about the Christmas season. Um, if you have been in the church and during your life, you might have heard the word Advent, um, that this would be a season on the church calendar called Advent, which essentially uh, in its original, I guess, uh, origins of the word means coming or uh, or a sense of anticipation or waiting that there would be an advent of change, that there would be a moment or a precipice in which things would begin to transform and things would begin to change. And so for the church calendar, uh, Advent became that season. It became a season where we longed for, where we anticipated for the coming of God. And, and as a church community, we have been uh, walking through a season about talking about vision as our, as our church um, and what that means for us personally in our, in our personal lives and the type of vision that God would give us for our lives and the type of ministries He would want us to be involved in, um, not just on a church basis, but as individuals. What, what has God called us to and in what ways is God planning on moving in our life that we're anticipating and expecting for Him to move in incredible ways? Or, or maybe it's not ministry, maybe it is us as individuals, we're waiting for God to do something incredible in our life. We're waiting for, for, that, for that breakthrough that, that we feel that God has been promising us for a long period of time. We're, we're waiting for um, that, that family member to uh, experience healing. We're, we're um, working hard and anticipating um, that day when uh, we're, we're experiencing more financial freedom. And, and so there could be a lot that goes into our expectations of what we want to see God do and how we want to see God move as individuals. And the season of Advent really leans into that. It really leans into um, this season of how we cope with, how we uh, reflect on, how we expect God to move in our lives. And so in, the, in, in week one, we talked about the willingness of Mary and allowing God to move in her life. And it didn't seem like there was any obstacle in her way. She asked, she asked how this is going to happen. And God explained through the angel that, 
This is going to happen through the Holy Spirit coming on you and it's going to be miraculous and I'm going to do something that I've never done before and you're going to give birth to a child even though that you're a virgin and you've never been with a man before. And she was just open arms. She was just completely willing for God to move in that way in her life. And um, that's inspiring for us to reflect on that if, if we want God to really move in our lives, it's going to require this willingness for us to really surrender ourselves in not just active obedience, but willing hearts, aligning ourselves with God heart, God's heart and wanting what He wants. Um, and then the second week, we talked about how that could actually mean a radical change up in our plans. I don't know. We don't know what Mary's vision board for the next five years was. We don't know what the date was for, for their, for their uh, wedding ceremony. We don't know uh, what uh, Joseph's plans were for the coming years or what he had in store for uh, life together with Mary. But what we do know is that everything changed when God revealed that he was going to use them as a couple to bring Christ into the world. And this just revolutionarily changed everything. Uh, it made their life a lot more difficult. Um, it made some challenges come about in the coming year. I think in, the, in a previous message, I, I said that it was probably a couple weeks that they would find themselves as refugees. But uh, the more you kind of research it, uh, there's huge evidence that this could have been actually a year uh, or more um, that they were really being sojourners and, 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 and would find themselves, even after Jesus was born by several years, finding themselves just trying to find safety for their family, safety for their child. Um, and God was guiding them through the whole process. You see angels intervening in incredible ways. You see God moving. And, and I bet you anything, this was an incredibly rewarding experience for them. Um, but God doesn't think the way that we think. He doesn't plan things out the way that we plan them out. Um, so this can really affect how we assume God is going to move in our lives. So this is really what we've been talking about. And, and today, what we want to hit on is really relinquishing or letting go of that control. Like, who is in charge of our life? Who is in charge of our finances? Who is in charge of our marriages? Who is in charge of our ministries? Who is in charge of everything that we're a part of and how God is going to work through it? Because I think if we can answer that question, it's going to lead to us understanding a lot of the challenges we're currently facing in each of those areas. It's going to reveal a lot about our hearts and how we really want God to move. Or maybe we've never even thought about this before. And one of the stories that I find to relate to this really, really well, which typically is not used as a Christmas story, I think nearly enough, is the story of Herod. And if you know anything about the story of Herod, that might catch you off guard thinking, wow, I don't relate to Herod whatsoever. And I think on a lot of levels, we don't relate to Herod. But on some levels, I think we do. Surprisingly more than what we might think. Not in the same context. We're not the king of the, of the, of the, of the region. We're not over large swaths of people. But we have something within our, 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 our control. Let, let me go ahead and read 
the story of Herod, and, and it's intertwined with the story of the Magi or the wise men or the, the three kings, as some of you might have heard before. Um, it's, it's interconnected with all of these different stories, but also the story of the star. You see the Christmas star on the, every, everybody's Christmas tree every year. You, you hear about um, the, the star of Bethlehem in Christmas stories or in songs or, or in images that you see around this time of year. You see above nativity scenes the star that, that sets above, above the manger that leads the wise men there. So this is that story. And so Herod tends to get sidelined with this story. And obviously Jesus is at the forefront of the story. But I think there's something important that we can actually learn from the whole of the story, including Herod. Let me go ahead and read it to us. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2 in Matthew, on through verse 12, it says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and I, I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves uh, in the Christmas story. Jesus isn't born yet. Uh, we're anticipating this to come on December 25th, and so that's what we're really leaning into. But I felt like this is something that we can reflect on that, that can sometimes hinder uh, God coming in the way that we expect Him to. So I think that's why it's important to actually review this prior to us really reflecting on the coming of Christ. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east, or wise men, or, or, or these kings, as some have, have called them, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Him being sneaky, trying to get to where this Christ, where this child was born. After hearing the king, they went their way and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Last week we started talking about the anticipation of the people of Israel waiting for this child to be born. Their expectation of a coming Messiah 
was huge. They were ready for a king to come to set their people free, to reestablish them as a nation, and to fulfill all of the prophecies which had been foretold for centuries. And so they had all of these anticipations, all of these expectations of how God would move. And so the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, everyone had talked about this and they were anticipating for when God would actually do this. And here, God is actually doing it. God is actually in the process of fulfilling His promise through the coming birth of Jesus. We often don't think about the changes that come with with God fulfilling His promises or God actually moving because there's oftentimes changes that we would have to adjust to that we might not have expected prior. And if we, we, if we expect that it's going to remain the same as the religious leaders seemed to go with the status quo here in this context, because when Herod was curious, where is this child? They didn't seem surprised. They didn't seem overly excited. They just simply answered his question and seemed to be implicit in trying to figure out where this baby was to be born. But here's these people who don't seem to be from their people, these magi, or these wise men. Maybe the interesting thing is we have all of these preconceived notions about who these people are because there's so many songs about them, there's so many images about them, there's so many stories about them. What we do know from this text, because this is really one of the only text that we find them, some uh, Bibles will translate it as wise men because of their levels of knowledge, because they seemed to be scholarly people from uh, a foreign land. But the word that's used in the original language is literally just magi. Like it's just transliterated, and some translations they just transliterate it over because there's so much vagueness around who are these people. And so there's been these stories that they claim that they might have been kings from the east, and there is no evidence whatsoever that these people were kings. I mean, they could have been kings. They absolutely could have been rulers or leaders of some sort in, in their lands. But what we do know, we do know that these, these men seemed to be um, people who studied the skies, people who studied the stars and understood how the stars worked. They seemed to be people who understood the prophecies of the Jewish people and knew that they would come to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And so, so they would come to this place, and they would um, ask where the newborn king was. To them, I imagine, like when they, when they, when they heard about this, this prophecy, and that they, they, they knew that this was unfolding, and, and they saw the star rise in the east, and they just began to pursue after that. And so all of creation, all of Scripture, and all those under submission to God is pointing towards the coming of this Christ. And here it is coming at odds with this kingdom that be, this, this power that is within the land. And so they come probably may, maybe even assuming that the people, are they're ready to receive this Messiah. They're ready to receive this Christ. They're ready to see God move again. And so they come to, to Herod. It says in verse 2, For we saw his star in the east 
and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he wasn't excited. He was troubled. And catch this, and all Jerusalem with him. Perhaps Herod had experienced uprisings before, perhaps people even claiming to be the Messiah or a person that would set the people free and reestablish this, but him also being under supervision from Rome is, is facing these incredible amounts of pressures, probably worried that the, the news of a, a newborn king would be a threat to the very foundations of what they had going. And they knew that it could potentially threaten and change the entire status quo. So here he is gathering all of these religious leaders. He says, they gathered together all of the chief priests, the scribes of the people. And he inquired, he asked. He wasn't surprised because he, he knew to go to these people because he knew this was a thing. So he asked actually, where specifically was the Messiah supposed to be born? And so they probably chattered a little bit, talked a little bit, maybe even debated a little bit. But what came to surface seemed to be this unanimous pointing towards a verse in Micah 5.12, one of the prophets. It says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so the religious leaders tell King Herod this is where the, the Messiah was to be born. And then he sneakily goes and he tells the Magi, okay, now this is where he was supposed to be born. And then it says in verse 8, the only wise advice that Herod ever gives Go and search carefully for the child. His intent was entirely different than their intent of finding where this baby was to be born. They went on their way. They continued to follow the star towards Bethlehem and they would find the child. His mother Mary and they fell to the ground and they worshipped him, bringing him presents and gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's all, there's all sorts of symbolism in each of these objects that you could pull out and talk about. But what we know for certain is that these weren't common gifts that you would just give anybody. These are gifts that you give to people who are royal to people who are kings. These people prepared when they met the Messiah. They knew exactly what this would mean, that he is bringing in this new kingdom, even though he's a baby. The expectation is ginormous. And these people who weren't even from the land of Israel knew what this child would mean for not just Israel, but for the world. And so they come prepared to worship him, and to bring him gifts of royalty. And then an angel comes in, intervenes, 
in a dream and tells them, do not return to Herod. He was lying to you. All he wanted was to find this baby so he could kill it because he knew this would try to stop and thwart what I am planning on doing next. Jesus and Herod in this passage are representing two different kingdoms. One that is present in the world and one that is coming into the world. Herod, just a little background on Herod. Herod was your, your typical ancient tyrant. Literally, as from what we know in history, as Herod was dying, he set it up so that people would be sentenced to death as he was dying because he said this, if people aren't going to mourn for me, at least there will be mourning at my death. Later on in this same chapter, in, in chapter 2, you find where Herod can't find Jesus, so he issues a decree to kill every newborn baby boy under the age of two. Herod was not a good man. He was an evil tyrant trying to maintain the status quo, trying to maintain his control. And the arrival of the Magi and the news about Jesus, both according to the Magi and the stars and the skies that were beginning to say the atmosphere is changing. The world around us is beginning to change because Jesus is coming into the world. This, to Herod, was not only a foreign threat, but it was a domestic threat to his government and his kingdom that he claims to be the true king over. And perhaps, I'm certain there would have been thoughts in his minds of fears that he doesn't want this news to reach Rome. Because perhaps they're going to try to intervene and stop another revolution from happening. And it could raise concerns, so I'm sure this is something that's going in his mind. What, what, what would Rome do if they found out that the Jewish people were anticipating that a new king had just been born? And that people were expecting that he was going to fill the prophecies of old that we've been anticipating for a long time. This season of Advent, it anticipates and proclaims a new life-altering kingdom breaking out through the birth and coming reign of Christ. That when Jesus was born, there were kingdoms, principalities, Dominions set up through the world and still even today that we see set up everywhere. But the birth of Christ was the establishment of a new life-altering kingdom that would break through to change the rest of human history. That would begin to rewrite the course and the direction that the enemy was planning for us all along. 
and that it was going to come through the coming reign of Christ. I think oftentimes in the, in the, the church we might downplay this description of a kingdom and try to over-spiritualize this understanding. And, and in a sense, yes, it is, it is a spiritual kingdom, but it is also a very real kind of power, a very real kind of dominion. And to diminish that is actually to diminish the coming of the Messiah into this world and what it would mean for all of those that would follow Him, that would claim Him as King. N.T. Wright, he's one of, literally one of my favorite scholars, writers, um, speakers, absolutely one of my favorite. Uh, he has a really, really cool perspective on nearly everything. And this is one of the, the issues that he actually is the most passionate about, is talking about the kingdom of Christ and, and even the, the um, sometimes polarizing nature of who Jesus was, but also at the same time how he kind of cuts through culture and doesn't necessarily side with one politic, but introduces a new understanding of reality. And he is beginning to literally transform our lives, our societies and the world through his kingdom. And he writes this in his book, uh, For All God's Worth. And um, he says this about the incarnation of Jesus. And this is, I think, really, really powerful to understand what was being bottled up in the incarnation of Jesus. How can, this is what he says, how can you cope with the end of a world and the beginning of a new one? How can you put an earthquake into a test tube or the sea into a bottle? How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that the life itself came to life and walked in our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the more devastating disclosure of the deepest realities in the world or it is a sham a nonsense, a bit of deceitful play-acting. Most of us unable, this is important for us as we're reflecting on this, he says, most of us unable to cope with saying either of those things condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. The season of Advent is the ushering in of the reign of our King the birth of our King. Like I said, I believe we actually relate far more with Herod than we might like to admit. Not that we're an ancient tyrant killing babies and controlling empires, trying to maintain them. But that there is a certain aspect of attention that we face when it comes to the coming of Christ's kingdom and the kingdoms in which we are within, that I think is really important for us to reflect on and think about as Christ begins to move in our lives and through our lives. As Christians, we're, we're, we're caught between two worlds. We're caught between two different kingdoms. I mean, I grew up in the United States of America, in Cincinnati, Ohio. I grew up fan of the Reds, because that's what you do when you grow up in Cincinnati, even if they don't win. 
you grow up because of just the, around the area, having barbecues and cooking brats. Like you, like there's a certain culture that you are raised in as an individual. And the moment that you become a follower of Jesus, you're not removed from that context. You, that still is something that has made you, you. But there is a kingdom breaking out that at some points, like for God isn't concerned about baseball. God's not concerned about you eating brats. But there are certain things that we have tied ourselves to in our kingdoms or things that we're holding to and things that we're clinging to that we're unwilling to let go to allow God to really manifest himself in his kingdom and perhaps even maintaining the status quo of our societies, of our cultures, and the way things are because that's the way things have always been. And this is what Herod was trying to maintain. This is what the religious leaders and the scribes were trying to maintain. If we get rid of this baby, then we can maintain things the way they've always been. But if this baby continues, it's a threat to all of it. Even if they believed he was real or not. Even if they believed that he was who he says he was or wasn't who he says he was. They would change so much. From the beginning, the Bible, the, the Bible paints a picture of two kingdoms at odds with each other. The kingdom of the enemy, which is Satan, the devil. And the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as the Bible describes it. As, as the New Testament describes it, and even the Old Testament describes it. That there's a place where the enemy reigns and there's a place where heaven reigns. And these two places seem to collide in the lives of everyday humans. And this isn't me to oversimplify and overcomplicate just to say that everything that is evil. This is not what I'm saying, so please don't, please don't hear that. But that things that do not fall under the reign, the principle, the laws, and the realities of what God has designed the world to be are contrary to what he is trying to do. And as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, who have declared him as our king, or so we might just give lip service to, are caught between these two kingdoms. We're called to live differently. John 17, 6 says, we are not of this world. It doesn't mean that we live in isolation, that we live entirely separate, and we have a different culture, and we have a different language, and we uh, listen to everything differently, and we're just very odd, separate people from the world and society. No, but that God is actually renewing and God is actually redeeming through us these characteristics. I mean, you might have been raised, whether intentionally or unintentionally, to not like people who do wrong to you. I mean, that's a pretty common thing. But this principle is part of the reign of, sorry for the strong language, but the reign of Satan. The reign 
of the enemy who wants to destroy humanity. But the reign in the kingdom of God calls us to love our enemies and pray for those who harm us. It's in the kingdom of God that, that our finances aren't ran in greed or under the kingdom of consumerism. But our finances are actually done differently when they're under the reign of Christ. Which kingdom are we living under? Our ethics, our values, our priorities. We have this tension of two kingdoms. Sometimes we just try to maintain. We're not just caught between these two kingdoms, but we try to maintain our own kingdom, our own comfort. Perhaps we're comfortable with the way things are because they're comfortable for us and, and they don't need to change. Perhaps, yeah, they could be better, but it's not worth the risk of the, the, the change that we'll have to face or the, the, the change that we'll have to or the discomfort that we'll have to walk through. Here's the reality. It's not about us. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's this aspect of the reason God sent Jesus was for us. But not in the sense where it creates these individual silos where each of us are completely autonomous and individuals in society kind of allowing things to be run according and kind of cycling around our world. I know there's like these cute little phrases that says the world doesn't revolve around you, but the world doesn't revolve around you. And once it starts to, it starts to fall apart. And so the, the walk of the Christian is to place Jesus at the center of that. Not to maintain our own status quo, not to maintain our kingdom, but to look for his priorities. And in that, our priorities are going to be met. Our needs are going to be taken care of. Perhaps not in the time frame that we think they are, but if we're trying to just control our kingdoms, control what we have the power over, it's going to make it real hard for God to move in our lives. And to look at these magi who aren't even from this land. That they begin to notice that the world is shifting. That the world is changing because someone was just born. And they bring preparations for a king to pay homage to him which again would have been a substantial threat for another kingdom, a foreign kingdom, to bring and pay homage to a king that is not the king on the throne in Jerusalem. But these guys got it. They weren't worried about the conflicts, the tensions that they would face in, in walking out and navigating. Perhaps there was questions of how is this going to happen, this is probably going to be harder than I thought it was. It's going to require some prayer. They weren't worried about prioritizing themselves or even their own worldview. They just knew once this baby was born, it was going to change 
everything. They knew who Jesus was and they wanted his way on earth as it was in heaven. And that is what I hope and I pray that each and every one of us could be like. Not people who are trying to maintain the status quo of the kingdom just simply because we're afraid of the tensions that we might face or trying, trying to maintain the status quo of our own little worldview or our own little life because it's more comfortable for us, but that we are willing to allow change to come into our lives so that God can move and do things in our lives that we really ultimately do want Him to do. We say that we want Him to move, but yet we're not willing to relinquish the power and let Him reign as King. Kanye West recently uh, released an album, and I know there's a lot of controversy, which I'm not sure why there's controversy around it. It's pretty clear what his message is. Um, but he is proclaiming a message that is very clear on that, that kind of cuts in between these two cultures when I actually love how it kind of divides the line because you see all these religious people questioning maybe there, maybe there's not legitimacy in his conversion and then the, what he's trying to do is just simply for profit. And there's this other side where the secular world is beginning to say, well, he's becoming too Christian and uh, he's saying things that are bigoted and he's saying things that are contrary to our worldview. So you see someone who is literally cutting through powers that be in our culture, who could care less about the tensions that it's going to create in the conservative evangelical Christian communities and in even culture in this world. The only thing that he's concerned about is Jesus in this central of the, this message. And this message is that Jesus is king. And yeah, we, we can't know his heart. We don't know what his life is. That's irrelevant. I would hope we would all agree with his message because I think the wise men agreed with the message of Kanye West. Jesus is king. And because he is king, it breaks through a new kingdom that begins to be life-altering and changing when God begins to break out in our lives, what, what's going to be our response? Are we going to resist it? Are we going to try to maintain what, what is? Are we open to that change? Perhaps God has been speaking to you recently or maybe even just now that there needs to be some changes and you realize I don't, I don't want to change that. Well, then who's the king? You? Or Jesus. And this is a challenging, challenging question for us because it sometimes is very, very hard to let go of the control in our lives. But this, as followers of Jesus, is our only option. The season of Advent anticipates and proclaims a new kingdom that's going to come through our willingness, that's going to come through realizing the fact that it might not all go the same way that we expect it to go and that God's plans are not the same way as our plans, but that also it's about God's kingdom breaking through into this world. 
It's about God being the one who reigns. Will we relinquish control or will we try to keep it? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for who you are and uh, what you are doing in our lives. I pray that you would continue to move in our lives. And I pray that as you move and we're anticipating you to move, that you would help us let go, that you would help us relinquish the control over to you and let you be the king. That as you're breaking out in our lives, there would be no resistance. We would have full surrender, that we wouldn't be trying to, to be the king or micromanage you, God, but that we would just really lean into what your spirit is saying. We would follow you. God, move. Move in our lives. We give it all to you. You are our king. Amen. Our community aims to be a life-giving church that helps you find refuge and rest through following Jesus. Thank you so much for your support. If you're looking to connect with us, you can find us online at rouge.church or on any social media platform at rougechurchmi. Or you can just shoot us an email at connect at rouge.church.